Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one of you test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. What comes to your mind when you consider the church? We use this word, we're going to church. Uh, I go to this church or that church. Have you gone to church lately? What is the church? And uh, as we even consider the phrase, there's many different thoughts that come to our mind. We uh, may use it in describing the building. I actually do that quite frequently. I tell my wife I'm going to the church. Uh, Of course, I don't mean that I'm going to the body of Christ. I mean I'm coming to this building, right? I'm coming to this facade where I come and work. Sometimes we think of the activities that we do each week. I'm going to church this Wednesday night and all that goes with it. Sometimes uh, we think of a group of people. Uh, This is so-and-so. They go to my church. This is identified by the people that we have a common denominator with that we go to the same church. We know from scripture that the church is something that is very important. The church is called the bride of Christ. It's called the body of Christ. It is said in scripture that we cannot function apart from the church. In the church, some are hands, some are arms, some are legs, and we need each other to function the way we're supposed to function. But even in all of this, we're left with the question, what is the church? Paul begins to explain for us what the function of the church is. The church is a place where we are to live amongst a body of people and to love one another. To bear with one another, to bear with one another. The church is a a people who are united under the head that is Christ. It is there we find support through the trials and the difficulties of this life. Where we find those who come alongside us and care for us and strengthen us and even at times rebuke us. The problem is is that the world looks at the church and they tend, uh, for lack of a better word, to spiritualize it. And there's this question of, I think that naturally flows out of this, is what does it mean to be spiritual? Because everyone talks about being spiritual, right? Go to a bookstore, find a bookstore and 
go to the spiritual section, or whatever we call it, religious. And there's all manner of books about spirituality. But no one really agrees with what it means. More often than not, they become about self-realization or self-actualization as a form of spirituality. But most people want to be spiritual without being religious. Spirituality for them is something that's private and spontaneous, while religion is public and rigid. And sadly, this can be said of many churches. They want to be spiritual without being religious, without being uh, tied to religion. And so spirituality takes the form of having quiet times, of fastings, of going on retreats. For some, it becomes about what liturgy are you doing? Are you lighting candles, the waving of incense? For others, it becomes playing the right instruments and the right music, or maybe not having instruments at all and singing only psalms. But when we look at Christian spirituality, the spirituality that we have in Christ, we realize that it's about a personal relationship with God. A God who has given and spoken an eternal word to us. It's not something that we gain through ritual or method. It is nurtured by his means of grace, by word, sacrament, by prayer. So as we come to this text this morning, as we consider what is the church, what is the function of the church, of this body, we're going to see three things, that we are called to bear with one another, that we are called to encourage one another, and that we are called to share with one another. Bear with one another, encourage one another, and share with one another. It's important here to, to acknowledge the first word Paul uses in this section. He says, brothers. And this is very full and loaded for us. It's telling us uh, Paul here is talking to the church. He is talking about the church body. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... So we see, second, brothers, when you sin, when you catch others sinning, not if, notice here, when, it will happen, you who are in the church are going to continue to struggle in sin, temptations and sin will come upon you, and you will fail miserably, even the best of you, when this happens, restore. You who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Paul says that one of the functions of the church is spiritual care. That when we sin, we are to be caring for one another. We are to be restoring one another. What is this idea of restoring I don't know, there's shows out there, I don't know if you're watching these shows where they take old items, not new items, because new items are just made for nothing, they're made to be thrown away, but they take old items that have stood the test of time and they restore them. And what is the idea of restoring something? It's to taking it from where it is now to its former state of glory, for lack of a better phrase, right? Have you ever seen someone do a car restoration where they take an old beat up clunker 
And then before you know it, they do all this work. They do body work. They do paint work. They do interior work. And they restore this beautiful car to its former glory, right? The idea is the same here. Well, a little bit less. Uh, When the brother sins, or I should say a little bit more, we are to restore them. To bring them back. And sadly, we in the church don't always treat the sinner well, do we? And we do this in several ways. I think the first way we do this is we ignore. We see sin. We recognize sin. But we're too scared to do anything about it. We're too scared to go up to our brother and say, brother, I see you living in sin and you need to repent from your sin. And why are we so scared? Because it costs, doesn't it? If I come to Alan and I say, Alan, I see this sin in your life. I risk Alan's rejection of me, don't I? You don't have any idea what you're talking about. Get away from me. Because that's how Alan acts all the time. (laughs) No. We lack the courage to confront sin. Or we see it, but we don't go past that. And other times we go the other way. We see sin. And instead of going to the person, we go to someone else and say, do you see what so-and-so's doing? I can't believe they're doing that. Gossip about it, don't we? We gossip about the sin. We even condemn the sinner, blaming them. They should have known better. They should do better than they're doing. Or we treat them like an outcast. Why aren't you doing better? You need to do better. Paul says, no, you need to restore in a spirit of gentleness. Bear with one another. Bear each other's burdens. Because here's the reality. We as Christians are going to have burdens. If that is in in any doubt, consider our prayer list today. Pat at home with her mother, as she is under this weight of this injury, seeking to care for her and being overwhelmed by trying to balance work and care for her mother and everything else that comes with life. And we're called to come alongside and to bear with her, to bear her burdens with her. We are to bear up with one another. Because the reality is this, we in the Christian life, as we face our burdens, we cannot go at it alone. It is isolating. It is suffocating. We need the church. Because each of us can identify in the struggling of burdens, can't we? Because each of us struggled with the same burden, sin. 
we, much like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, had this unbearable weight upon our shoulders. And who bore our burden? Christ himself. Christ bore our burden and he bore it at Calvary. And we are to imitate Christ in this. We are to restore our brother in a spirit of gentleness. We are to be keeping watch on ourselves lest we fall into sin and are tempted. And we are to bear one another's burdens. But what does that look like? How can you bear someone else's burdens with the burdens you're already carrying? Sometimes that looks like putting your burdens down for a while setting them down and going along someone else because this is the reality if we're going to bear one another's burdens it's going to take time it's going to take effort it's going to take energy but we are called to fulfill the law of love john 13 34 a new commandment i give to you that you love one another just as i have loved you you are also to love one another john 15 12 this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We bear one another's burdens. We love our neighbor as ourselves, just as Christ did for us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called into this close-knit relationship. The church is a family, albeit dysfunctional, and messy at times. But we are called into this relationship. And it's not always fun. And it's not always easy. And it's oftentimes hard and dirty work. But we must be about this work. I cannot allow you to continue in sin. You cannot allow me to continue in sin, you cannot let one another continue in sin. You must be restoring one another, no matter what the cost, no matter how scary it is. And in doing this, we bear one another's load. We bring restoration and healing, knowing that the struggle is hard. Are you willing to dive into the mess? Of one another's lives because it's messy and it's ugly it's not clean and sanitary as we often like to pretend are we allow are we willing to allow others into the mess of our lives to see how truly dysfunctional we are we are to be imitating christ who ultimately did this We're to bear up under, bear with one another. But we're also to encourage one another. Verse 3, for if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he, defeat, he deceives himself. Paul here is, is challenging us in that he is telling us we should not think more of ourselves than we actually are. Or you can say this inversely. He's saying, you need to think of your neighbor at least as highly as you think of yourself. How highly do you think of yourself? 
You have a pretty good opinion of yourself. I know I'm, t I'm tempted towards that. I have a pretty good opinion of myself. Our problem is we think higher of ourselves than others, and this means that we oftentimes don't bear their burdens. Because if I am going to bear someone else's burdens, if I am going to first put down my burden, it means that I have to say, you know what, for this time, I'm putting them as more important than me. I'm going to set aside my struggles now for the sake of someone else's struggles. And that, as we said, demands time. It means we have to rearrange our schedule. Paul says we must consider ourselves as nothing. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, Calvin says we are nothing of our own to boast, or excuse me, we have nothing of our own to boast, but are destitute of every good thing. In essence, he's saying this, in ourselves, we are nothing. If we have anything to boast in, it is only in Christ. We are only anything in him. And Paul is really challenging us. He's saying, don't be so puffed up in your own self-worth that you can't see that any worth you have does not flow out of you naturally, but flows out of you because of the, the Spirit of God working in you, applying to you what Christ has done for you. Don't compare yourselves to one another. Compare yourselves to Jesus. And compared to Jesus... You're nothing. Is in essence what he's saying. And Jesus is the only one who counts. We must measure up to God's standards, not to the standards of one another. And if we seek to measure up to God's standards, it enables us to bear with one another. So we're not to boast. Not in a bragging way, at least. He says, but let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. And I, I believe what he's saying here, because it seems what contra somewhat contradictory, is, is what he's saying is, it, it's not that we boast in the things that we do for our neighbor, or it's not that we boast in our perceived betterness than our neighbor, but as we see the working of the Spirit within us, we boast in what he is doing in and through us. So we don't boast in a bragging way. We boast in the confidence that we have in Jesus Christ. We boast in the finished and completed work that we have in Jesus Christ. Understanding that any service that we perform is not according to ourselves, but is according to him. And then again, Paul says something that seems contradictory. He says, uh, and then you, you bury, how do you say it in verse 5? For each will have to bear his own load. And you go, wait, but Paul... You just said that we need to bury, one another, bury each other's load, not bear our own load. So again, what is he saying here? It seems like a contradiction, but it, the word here is different. The first time he talks about bearing load, he uses the Greek word baros, which refers to a heavy load like a cargo, something you couldn't carry on your own. Here, he uses the word forshian, uh, which refers to a traveling pack. And what he's talking about here, I believe, is the weight of our own responsibility to God. Not to one another, but to God. And we must carry this. We will answer for how we have uh, carried our responsibility out before God. 
there is a thing we are to do, and that is to bear one another's burdens. And how we bear one another's burdens, we will have to account for. We have a responsibility. Brothers and sisters in Christ, are you bearing one another's burdens? If not, why not? You have to bear the answer to that question. Martin Luther, uh, and I'm going to define a word before I read his quote, says this. He uses the word sexton. A sexton is a, a non-teaching worker in the church, someone who would care for the church grounds and other things like that. Martin Luther says this. A faithful sexton is no less pleasing with his gifts than as a preacher of the word, for he serves God in the same faith and spirit. In essence, Luther's saying this. We each have a responsibility that we have to live our lives out before God. And we need to be doing that. And I think specifically here, he's talking about bearing one another's loads, about coming and restoring one another. How are we doing in that? And, how, and why, if we're not doing well in that, why are we not doing well in that? In essence, Paul says this, you need to have a proper understanding of who you are. And if you don't have a proper understanding of who you are, how can you encourage one another? How can you build up one another? In yourself, you are nothing. You cannot find your value in self or the world. Unlike this world would have us believe, because this world comes and tells us it's all about self. Chicken soup for the selfish soul, right? Please yourself. Do what yourself wants. Don't worry about the consequences. Paul says, no, you need to find your value in Christ alone. Test your works. Understanding that it's not the good in you. It's the good that Christ has put in you. Don't boast in yourselves because it's not what you've done. It's not that you, contrary to the American ideology, it's not that you've picked yourselves up by the bootstraps and made something better of yourself. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel is Jesus Christ coming to us in a state where we're flat on the floor, dead. It's been called. The death certificate has been written up. We are dead and there's nothing else we can do. And Jesus comes and says, I give to you life. Not because you're good enough, not because you deserve it, but because I am giving my grace to you. So do not boast in yourself, but boast in what God has done. And then understanding that, bear out your work before him. Go before him, loving the, the church And then finally, he tells us to share with one another. Verse 6 of, of, of Galatians 6 is one of those passages or verses that I would very much easily like to just skip over and move on from. Uh, because as a teacher, I'm about to be talking to you about sharing things with the teacher. Uh, and that it, it, But it's in the word of God. We go through, and, and so we're going to look at it. Paul tells us that we're to teach one another or share with one another. One who is taught the word must share all good things with the one who teaches. He in essence is saying this, everyone in the church has something to share. Both the one who teaches is sharing the word from the Bible 
And the one who is being taught is to share with the one who teaches all good things. The word here for teach in verse 6, so the one who is taught, is the, the Greek word katiko, which may sound familiar to you. It's where we get the word catechism. We are to be, as ministers of the word, teaching the word of God to the people of God. And really, as far as job descriptions goes, there is no clearer job description you can give to a, a pastor, a, a preacher than this. Teach the word of God. That is the ultimate calling of a pastor, to teach the word of God faithfully. Yet we live in a time where that is not really the primary job description that pastors are given. We are called uh, to be salesmen, businessmen, musicians, entertainers, comedians, janitors, anything and everything except preachers and teachers of the word of God. Look at some of the most successful, I'm going to put this in big air quotes, churches out there. And you'll find a good salesman or a good comedian or a good entertainer. You talk to the people who go to those churches and the things they talk about are, I love the music, I love, oh, he's so, he's so funny. How often is it I faithfully hear the word of God preached and taught from the pulpit and my heart is convicted and I become more like Christ? That is very seldom, sadly, a testimony you hear. The center of the gospel ministry must be the exposition of the Holy Scripture. And it is a full-time job. Paul calls churches to share all good things with the one who teaches. All things that allow the ministers to survive and thrive. Paul likewise in 1 Corinthians 9.14 says in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. Sadly, many people call pastors today professionals. And I think this is a terrible word to put on a pastor. Because we're not professionals. It's not that I come up here and I preach a sermon or I do the things that I do and you give me money for it. That's not what I'm doing. It's more than that. You uh, provide for me the means by which I can set aside my time and devote my time to the faithful exposition of the word of God. It's not about charging fees for services rendered. Pastors are supported by the voluntary gifts of God's people. Again, Luther says this. It is impossible that one man should be devoted to household duties day and night for his support. And at the same time, pay attention to the study of sacred scripture as the teaching ministry requires. Requires Preparing to pe preach, if done well, is a costly labor. It is costly. And so we are to free our ministers, as the PCA says in its call, from the worldly cares so that they may be free to preach the word. And this does not mean that this principle is to be abused. And there are several ways in which ministers will abuse this. There are some ministers who do look at the pastorate as a profession, who will not take another job or call, and I use that in air quotes, if it is not a forward move. 
well, if I'm going to go to another church where I'm getting the same salary or if I'm going to go back to a lower church where I'm getting a different salary, then I don't want to make that move because that's not a good professional move. And that grates at me something fierce. Because we are not called to consider the gospel that way. It is about a call to ministry. We are to go where we are called and we are to preach the word faithfully where we are called until we are called somewhere else. If we are called somewhere else. And that call should not be based upon salary. It should be based upon uh, the directing of the spirit of God. So some seek to become wealthy. Others become lazy. They're not accountable for their time. Greed and sloth are too dangerous to the minister. But this also comes on the other side of the fence for the congregation. Those who seek to control and manipulate the minister through giving. Perhaps we teach the, the minister sanctification through straining the purses. Or perhaps we try to manipulate the pastor through, through the way we give. It's important that we support the ministers of God's word. That we share with them in all good things. And yes, this partially means financially. But it's also so much more. I think one of the hardest things that I have found about being a minister is that there's no one who ministers to you. You are called, there's an expectation that as a minister that you need to know all the needs of your body. You need to be aware of them at all times, somehow mystically, and you are to be meeting those needs and it becomes at times lonely and hard. It becomes a very isolating job but you as, as a body of Christ, no matter if you're in this body or another body, are called to minister, to give all good things to those who would teach. Love your pastor. Love your pastor's family. Understand that they are sinful as you are sinful. That they are fallible as you are fallible. That they're not going to always say the right thing or do the right thing or meet expectations as you hope that they will be met. And love on them anyway. Give them every good thing that you can. Because brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to bear with one another. In 1790, there was this little church in Buckinghamshire, England. And they decided that they wanted to treat one another as the principles laid forth here in Galatians. And so they wrote a covenant that they took as a church. And it's a little lengthy, but I, th I think it's really good. I want you to hear these words. This is what they decided. This is how we as a church are going to operate. And we promise in covenant that this is what we're going to do. Listen to these words. To walk in love to those with whom we stand connected in the bonds of Christian fellowship. As the effect of this, we will pray much for one another. As we have opportunity, we will associate together for religious purposes. Those of us who are in more comfortable situation in life than some of our brothers, with regards to the good things of providence, will administer, as we have the ability and see occasion, to their necessities. We will bear one another's burdens, 
sympathize with the afflicted in body and mind. So far as we know their case, under their trials. And as we see occasion, advise, caution, and encourage one another. We will watch over one another for good. We will studious avoid giving or taking, studiously avoid giving or taking offense. Thus we will make it our study to fulfill the law of Christ. How would we as a church body, if we heard these words, how would we look different if we put them into practice? If we sought not to give or take offense, if we sought to stand connected in the bonds of Christian fellowship, if we sought to pray for one another as much as we could, if we sought to associate together, if those who are in a more comfortable situation than others provide for them the good things that they have, if we bear one another's burdens for those who are afflicted in both body and mind, if we gave advice, if we had cautioned, if we encouraged, if we are watching over one another for good, how would that transform and change us as a body? This is the sort of life we must aspire to, bearing with one another through all seasons, restoring those who are lost, picking up and sharing in their burden, encouraging one another, understanding that we have nothing in ourselves that we can boast in, that we boast only in Christ, and we are to carry our life of, of obedience before him and share with one another. God has given us many good things, and he's given you ministers of his word. Support them the best you can, both physically and spiritually. We began at the sermon by considering the church. And the church is this wondrous and beautiful and altogether dysfunctional thing. In this body, we can, in one breath, lift someone in great encouragement and tear them down with words of discouragement. We must be striving not just to, the, the notion of bearing with somebody can have a negative connotation, right? Just grin and bear it. It's not what he's talking about. It's the idea of coming along, putting your arm underneath them, lifting them up, carrying that weight. loving on them in this way. This is what we are called to in the church. This is what we're called to. This is what we're to be. Oh, that we could hear these words and live this out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to your word this morning and we are confronted with a 
wondrous and yet difficult thing. And Lord, I am thankful for this body, even as I see the ways in which they are bearing up with one another. But Lord, as all bodies, we also fail. Lord, would you strengthen and encourage us? Would you enable us to only boast in you? And would you help us to come alongside one another and bear through this life as we look for the forward to the wonders of eternity, both with you and with one another? We ask all this in Jesus' holy name.